Robin and I were really thrilled to get a chance to interview author James Rollins. Uh, we did this on March 26th, which was a couple days after his latest book release, which is The Last Odyssey. If, uh, if you are familiar with uh, a lot of Jim's books, his primary series is called Sigma and uh, basically centers around a particular team of special forces folks or former special forces folks who also have uh, basically advanced degrees in different types of sciences and engineering and that kind of stuff. So uh, you have a really cool dichotomy of people who are solving uh, very cerebral problems while also being able to like totally kick ass. And uh, just they make for incredible stories. These are thrillers. He has this awesome balance of uh, like really grounded history with a little bit of, of kind of mythical stuff that sometimes uh, you're not quite sure until you get to the end of the book. Like if it is something that is is real or it is something that is stretched a, a little bit. It's just really, really interesting. Very fascinating stuff. He does a ton of research uh, into all of his books that, that he does. And uh, so they're all kind of set up as, as, as thrillers and they just have this really cool mix of, of action and strategy and military stuff and science and history and, and, and all that mashed into one. Just absolutely fascinating how he does it all. Um, so we got, uh, Robin and I got about 40 minutes with him to talk about his background and the Sigma books as a whole and uh, specifically about The Last Odyssey. Last Odyssey, by the way, dropped a few days ago. Uh, it came out on March 24th, so you should be able to get it uh, anywhere where books are sold. So any of your favorite book retailers, of course, you can get it from the big places. Uh, also, you know, keep in mind some of the smaller bookstores. If you uh, have any of those around, they are probably not open uh, for you to be able to go into uh, and, and actually buy stuff from them, but you may be able to order from them online. And, um, you know, in, in times of, uh, of the pandemic, uh, helping to take care of, of small businesses and, and things in your community is real important. Um, and, and Jim even talks about this toward the end of the interview. So hope everyone enjoys it. We were thrilled to be able to talk to him. He is our absolute favorite author. So we were trying not to completely uh, like fan out on, on him, um, but it was a great conversation. So enjoy. All right. So James Rollins, can I call you Jim? Is it? Jim is great. Everybody calls me Jim. Okay. Fantastic. James, the official sort of, you know, formal literary pen name. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. No, really happy that you could uh, join us tonight. Uh, you are, as, as you were talking, telling us before we uh, started recording here that you're in the midst of a snowstorm. So hopefully everything holds up over there. Um, so tell us, first of all, tell us, tell folks about yourself, if you could. Well, I, I it's a poorly kept secret that, uh, I was and still am a practicing veterinarian. I have, you know, my own clinic for 15 years. Uh, now I still do some volunteer work. I just, uh, one Sunday a month for about eight hours, I go to a shelter where they trap feral cats, the little club that traps feral cats around the area. Oh. I spend about eight hours spaying and neutering them. So now all I do with my vet degrees are remove genitalia, but uh, <laughs> uh, keeps me busy. So, you know, when I began the whole uh, writing uh, tract, uh, I, I my goal really was only 
that dream I think everybody has is to walk into a bookstore someday and see a book on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Apparently, I went a little overboard because now I have 34 books on the shelf. <laughs> the whole shelf, not just the book, but the whole shelf this time. Uh, but I, I began writing as a hobby. I've had no formal training in, in writing. If anybody's uh, ever read my book, they know he's had no formal training in writing. Uh, it was all just reading. You know, I read a lot, and I think I, I think I was, you know, sort of a Nate storyteller. I've got three brothers and three sisters. I used to terrorize them with uh, twisted tales. You know, <laughs> tears were involved, all the better. Uh, and so that desire to tell story, I think, was just wedded in, in, by reading. It was like throwing gasoline on that twisted corner of my brain. Sure. But I never thought as a career. You know, you do this, this, and this, you can become a successful veterinarian. You can right. do this, this, and this and fail horribly as a writer. So <laughs> a more uh, logical track. But I couldn't quite let that go. So I joined a writing club. I uh, joined a critique group. I'm still with the same critique group for 25 years. They were with me when before I was ever published. They saw all my early short fiction I wrote that's now buried in my backyard. Hopefully never see that. <laughs> One and, of them has uh, a copy somewhere, probably. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they do. They're going to blackmail me at some point. You know, I expect to go into my critique group meeting, expect them to bow down before me, but they don't. They they <laughs> hold my feet to the fire still just as well, which I which I appreciate. And do, do uh, they get to see early drafts of, of your stuff? Oh yeah. I mean they're wow. they've already they've already seen a part of the fantasy book I'm written up. They've they've already seen it next to my my Sigma book. So yeah, wow. they, they see it first. And and how do I join this group? All the way down to Sacramento every <laughs> twice a month. It's a fun group. I mean, it's basically 12 of us, and almost all of us have been there since the beginning. Uh, there's a few people that sort of come and go, but it's been the same group for a long period of time. And uh, so I consider them instrumentally in, in getting me published. You know, they, they hone that, uh, that uh, early attempts at me writing. Uh, I try, All I thought I could fit in my life was a short stories. I didn't think as a busy veterinarian I could fit a novel in my life, so I just sure. tried short stories. Didn't get a single short story published. So, uh, but eventually I, I went ahead and tackled the novel and they ended up selling. And then another one began to sell. And then my clients became suspicious at the clinic, most because of like the poster in the lobby, you know, get your cat spayed, get a free book. So then they started asking me across the exam table, you know, Dr. Jim, you've got the successful vet in your house, but what's this business with writing? You know, what's your what's your long-term goal in life? And I'm thinking, mm, you're awful nosy, but I will try to answer that. <laughs> okay. For 15 years now, I've had this practice and I've enjoyed it, but you know, this was, was my paycheck for 15 years and writing was just a hobby. I was just making a pittance off my writing at that point. Sure. And I thought down the line, it'd be fun to see that maybe switch around where, you know, writing became my paycheck. And veterinary, veterinary medicine became a hobby and, you know, pretty much achieved that goal. Like I said, I just removed genitalia now and it is a hobby. So I think <laughs> at this point, I've achieved that. Absolutely. So that's how I got here. That's how a veterinarian became an author. It's a weird path. A lot of lawyers take that path. A few medical doctors take that path. Yep. I don't, you know, there's a couple of veterinarians that write like, you know, veterinary books or you know, like, you know, getting behind the mind of a dog type of books, but I don't think anybody's <laughs> writing these, you know, these Takato paced thrillers, except for me. <laughs> for some reason, I'm sure. straight, I've strayed afar, I've strayed afield a little bit. Although you have gotten into the minds of, of various creatures in some I, of your books. Yeah. I, 
I didn't think I was doing that initially. There's the old adage with writers that you're um, you're naked on the page. They say. Mm-hmm. I didn't believe it. I you know I thought whatever that's bogus. <laughs> Until I was writing for a while, I had a few books out there, and and I got an email from somebody that says, "Hey Jim, how come right on this book and afterwards, all of your main characters seem to have animal sidekicks. You know, there's orphan jaguar cub in Amazonia. There's a, a wolf rescue dog in another book. There's a military war dog in another book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a sign language, sign language speaking gorilla in another book. Yep. Um, so I, I realized that why that started happening is that when I finally have enough books on the shelf that I could actually step away from, from veterinary medicine, I did graduate, I didn't do it abruptly. I didn't go cold turkey. I sold my clinic to a corporate group, but stayed employed, worked there uh, full-time, then part-time, then weekends, and so that's enough of <laughs> Sure. But right about that time when I was making that transition is when those animals started appearing in my books. And I realized that, that this side of my, my right side of my brain that was you know spinning stories of animals, I mean, spinning wild stories, was being contaminated by the side that loved animals, loved medicine, loved science. So all of a sudden, my desire and my love of, of animals started creeping into my writing because I wasn't getting that outlet from working every day as a vet. Sure. So they began to creep into my writing on stealthy paws. <laughs> it's, I'll tell you, it's been pretty fascinating and it's a nice little detail that's shown up in, in a lot of your, your books. Uh, so the, the, the Sigma, uh, series of novels has been probably, I mean, to me, the most compelling read of yours. And I've read some of your other stuff, uh, which is all fantastic, but the Sigma stuff is like, I, that's obviously, I think, your most popular stuff. Oh, definitely. Um, tell folks a bit about Sigma, how it came about, and kind of the journey they've been on for the last number of years. Well, again, I, I resisted doing a series for a long period of time. I, I was getting a lot of pressure from my publishing house to do a series. All my early uh, thrillers were standalones, you know, uh, Subterranean, Excavation, Deep Fathom, uh, Amazonia, Ice Hunt, and then I wrote Sandstorm. Now, Sandstorm is the introduction of Sigma. Uh, I did not know that was the first book in the series or the sort of the prelude into the series. It was done accidentally. Uh, why I resisted doing a series for a long period of time was from what I call uh, the Jessica Fletcher syndrome. From- <laughs> you know, here's this old woman from Cabot Cove that is always tripping over dead bodies. I've never tripped over a dead body. What is her problem? Sure. <laughs> uh, eventually, I think with any series, it begins to strain the credibility of like, how come Jack Reacher is always in trouble? How come Jessica Fletcher is always stumbling over dead bodies? Eventually, you wonder what's wrong with these people. And so I just didn't didn't want to have that burden of, of, of that. Plus, it's hard to maintain jeopardy sure. in a series. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody you know holds a gun against Jessica Fletcher's head you know that trigger is never going to be pulled as much as you might want it to be pulled. It never gets pulled because mm-hmm. you know she's the next week's episode. Right. So it's hard to maintain the level of jeopardy. So I didn't really want to get into that whole issue either. And then I wrote Sandstorm, and I loved – that's the introduction of Painter Crow. He's still a field agent at that point with with, um, with Sigma. And I liked the group. I liked, I liked writing them. I thought they were really, really cool. And when I finished that book, I thought, ah. You know, I don't really want to leave them alone. I want to go visit them again. But then I realized, oh, what if I do a series based on a group of characters rather than an individual? 
Therefore, I get around a lot of the Jessica Fletcher syndrome problems. You know, at this point, it's a group so that the Jeopardy can come from many different directions and make sense that they're getting into troubles. And so they're the elite team of DARPA. And nobody's necessarily safe in Sigma. I can knock off a major character, which I've done, or severely maim them in different ways, because Sigma can always recruit another member so that, that no one is necessarily safe. Everybody can be, you know, knocked off at any point. And I like being able to maintain that jeopardy. So I, I talked to my eight and my agent, my editor, actually. I said, what if we spun Sigma into a series? So that's great. And so then I wrote Map of Bones, where I sort of introduced a, you know, painter at that point, then we graduated into the directorship of Sigma. And so I needed sort of a, a team that we we're going to follow for the most part throughout the, the rest of the journey. And that was Map of Bones. And then from there on out, it was just a uh, book after book. It was just a lot of fun writing. And what I realized, there were some positives in writing a series in that I get to explore this cast of characters over a wider arc than it can ever achieve in a single volume. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning of Map of Bones, Commander Great Pierce meets this uh, assassin, uh, Seishan. They have a, a big shootout. Both shoot, they both shoot each other. Fifteen books later, they're married. They just <laughs> a kid named Jack. So, you know, I can never necessarily achieve that well within the course of a novel. But over the course of fifteen novels, I, I can, ex, you know, we can see that arc of characters. But at the same time, I try as best I can not to make every reader have to read all fifteen books to appreciate the next book in the series. I am very conscious because I, I do read a lot of series and I always sort of resent when there's so much backstory that I can't quite understand or can't remember. So I can't appreciate the new volume as well. So knowing that I, I sort of craft my story so that any backstory is seeded into the story. So anything you need to know about those characters, I'm going to tell you so that you can pretty much jump in. Cause I think there's very few people that have read my series in order, except for me and my critique group. Um, most people just jump in wherever they can. We, we, we have. <laughs> we have. We have. So, you know, it's, I think you get a greater nuance of the of the character by reading them in order. Sure. But I know, by no means is, is it necessary. You know, somebody walks into a, you know airport bookstore and looking for something to, to while away the hours, you know, hopefully they'll pick up a copy. And if they like it, they'll go back and fill in those blanks. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you've got a book coming out, which I cannot wait to read. Um, and, uh, so the last odyssey, yes. Can yes, that's t- correct. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that without spoiling it for me, because I am going to hole up one weekend and just. <laughs> read and it. well, you should. Yes, I should. <laughs> well, it's basically a, um, it's a big Mediterranean adventure. I, I, I wanted this big Mediterranean epic cause I'm a big Clive Custler fan. It's very you know, sad yeah. to hear. Clive Custler passed just recently. Yep. Big fan of his. So, you know, I was writing this almost in the vein of, of thinking about Clive Custler, and then by the time I finished the book, and then he passed away, it was just a tragedy. And so it's, you know, the book starts from one side of the Mediterranean all the way to the other. We end up, you know, passing through the gates of hell near the end. Um, you know, especially nowadays where we're all sort of homebound, you know, if you want a little armchair vacation, you want to travel to Europe, since we can't travel to Europe right now, hopefully the book will suffice. But where the book starts, it doesn't start in, in the Mediterranean. It actually starts in Greenland. There's the discovery of a centuries-old medieval ship buried about half a mile underneath the ice of Greenland. The ship's hold contains, uh, they discover that it contains a uh, clockwork gold map that's ticking along. Hmm. 
And it seems to, it's got moving parts, and it seems to be pointing towards the location of the mythic land of Tartarus, which is the Greek version of hell that's featured in Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Now, some zealots learn about this. Uh, they believe they can use that knowledge contained within that map to potentially unleash an apocalypse. And it's up to Sigma Force, of course, to stop them, which means they must uh, tread where all humans fear to go, which is to cross through those gates of hell. So I always wanted to send Sigma Force to hell. So this is my <laughs> opportunity to do so. Sure, sure. So I think probably the thing that fascinates me the most, and, and I think probably a lot of your writers, is how you manage to weave these stories together. I mean, they are not... The, the the premise of them, the setup is is not simple. You you manage to bring together a lot of uh, real life grounded things, and you bring things that, that happened in history, and you somehow bridge it to something that's going on in modern times. And there's a, a whole lot of other detail that's in there in terms of how you bring this about. Um, and and I think a lot of folks want to know. Uh, certainly, John, um, our our friend who we we mentioned earlier, uh, who, who couldn't be here, he wants to know like how you, what's your your whole methodology for the research, and and how does basically how does your brain work to get you from A to Z in these books? Very weirdly, <laughs> as you will find out in just a second. I, I, I'm secretly very fearful that this will fall apart. That eventually I won't get to that that story idea. Um, you know, as any author, I've always got my antenna up for those seeds that might become an idea. I mean, become a, become a book, a, a plot. And so I'm looking for basically two things. I'm looking for a historical mystery. I'm looking for a piece of history that maybe ends in a question mark, something I can solve within the pages of a novel. In this case, for Last Odyssey, it's about a, a mysterious uh, period of time called the Greek Dark Ages, uh, where there's a great world war that occurred during that period of time that's, that very people know about. Then I'm looking for the science. I'm looking for that science that goes, what if, where's that headed? How, how is that going to affect us? And then, you know, I subscribe at this point. I counted just recently 22 different magazines. They're not all monthly. Some of them are bi-monthly. But 22 different magazines I subscribe to, both in digital and in physical form. And they're, they're you know, Smithsonian, uh, Archaeology, Scientific American, uh, Discover, Discovery, Discover, rather. Um, anyways, so I... We'll read those, looking for those tidbits. And then if I come across one, I'll rip out that article or I'll print up that article if it's a digital thing. And I just throw it in a big box. I watch channel. I watch, you know, I'm hooked to just History Channel, Discovery Channel, National Geographic Channel. Again, something pops up there, make some notes, throw it in the box. I travel a lot. And, and people think, oh, you write all these, you know, international thrillers. You must be on, you know, must be doing a lot of research when you travel. You must like hop on planes and really dig into things. Actually, I very seldom travel for research. I travel for the fun of it. And when I'm traveling, I journal. I take pictures. I'm notorious for walking up to somebody in a small town or village and say, hey, you know, tell me a secret that nobody knows about this place. That's great. Maybe because the anonymity of, of being approached in that manner, they, they'll tell you some surprising things. Um, my last book, Crucible, came about because about seven years ago I was in Spain mm-hmm. and I was in a little village and I, I did that. I woke up to walk up to this person and said, Hey, tell me a secret about your place. And it was a, it was an older woman. She says, come follow me. And I think, Oh my God, she's going to bug me. But I think I can... <laughs> she walks me down a couple of streets and she take, points to a door 
And very vaguely, you can see there's like a brand or something marked in the door. It looks really old. And, she's, and so she says, do you see that? I says, yeah. So that's the mark of the crucibellum. I'm going, well, what's the crucibellum? Mm-hmm. She goes, here in Spain, we believe, and it's not so much that we believe, we know that there is still going on a, a, a core group of the Spanish Inquisition that's still in existence. Hmm. And me as a thriller, I'm thinking, well, that's my next book. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's just too cool. So I went back home, I'm looking it up, and, and it took me a long time. It, it, there's very few references, unless you can read, you know, read Spanish and, and go to some Spanish sites, mm. of any verification of this belief in the Crucibellum. Because I heard that, you know, that became the, the, the crux of the idea. But it took me seven years before I actually wrote that book. So again, big box, throwing science, throwing history. But I want to keep it to one box. I made a commitment to myself. I don't want it to be too easy, as much of information as I gather, for one to become two, two to become four. That's like James Rollins on hoarders. <laughs> don't want that's to stay one box. So to facilitate that, every you know, once a month, every maybe every couple of weeks, I have to go through that box and uh, call out ideas that either maybe the science has changed, so it's no longer accurate. Mm. Uh, maybe there's new information, so that it takes that takes the place of that old information. Maybe Steve Barry has done the histories part already, so I can get rid of that. <laughs> and but that's where the weird bit of serendipity, a bit of magic, a bit of I don't know why this happens type of thing ha- occurs, is that when I'm doing that sifting, I'll end up having like that piece of science and that piece of history will be on the floor at the same time or in my hands just by by chance at the same time. And only then I would never in my own mind just randomly connect it to it. They just happen to be right there in front of me, and I look down and go, oh. I can see how some threads might connect these two. Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then I'll follow through and I'll go, oh no, you know, it'll, I'll do some research and it'll, it'll dry up. Those, those little tendrils, you know, disappear. Other times then they, those tendrils, those, those threads, those become ropes and they bind them even harder. Then I know as it's snowballing up that this is a story I can tell, but it's just a bit of, of that serendipity, a bit of magic to, to have that happen together like that. Sure. So that's, that's the way it comes about. Wow. And I bet there's probably some trial and error where you've kind of tried writing a treatment to connect a couple things. Then you're like, yeah. ah, I just can't get it to happen. I think for every book I write, there's probably maybe four or five attempts that just fail. So. Or, or, or maybe get picked up later on. Maybe it seeds something else. I, I, I would like to or think. Be trained, I'll, I'll end up you know, taking that part of the story and mix it with another part of a dead story and they'll, you know, something will arise. Yeah. I'm secretly fearful that someone will, you know, break into my house one day and steal that box. <laughs> yeah, you know, then it's, it's, it's all safe. done. Ba- yep. Back back to uh, back to your practice. <laughs> yep. that's, why, that's why I do that. Uh, that uh, removing genitalia for feral cats is, you know, I got to keep my scrapple sharp just in case, you know, I have to ever return to my old profession. Absolutely. Absolutely. I. Uh, Gosh. So yeah, you, you, you do get to travel, um, an awful lot. It's interesting to hear that most of your travel is really just recreational. And then you kind of occasionally I will travel for research, but it's, it's, it's rare. It's rare that I will. I mean, this book took a lot of research, So there was a couple of trips I had to take for this book in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, but very rarely do I have to, you know, do more than, you know, some books have a no travel with after while in the process of writing it. Other books is just maybe once I'll run off somewhere, look, look up some details and come back. Uh, sure. it's pretty rare. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I think is, is kind of interesting that 
not many authors do, um, it seems to be coming slightly more popular, but there's still not a, a lot of it, is doing a trailer for your book. You know, I maybe that's my whimsical hope that, you know, I'll eventually see Sigma Force on the big screen. And until then, I can live vicariously through Book Candy's uh, book trailers that they do for us. <laughs> it's it's me, really I neat. It. I, I give them the book. Uh, they read it. Uh, they'll they'll send me some images and the, uh, some some early versions of the of this trailer, and it's just fun just to you know see a little bit of the story come to life in a, in a visual media. Sure, sure. Now I I know uh, a lot of of uh, you've had little whisperings of it here and there, and I know your fans have commented on a lot of things asking about it. Um, is there any progress to mention on? Well, a tiny bit. A I mean, something schematic. I mean, the the entire Sigma series uh, was optioned uh, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and they've bandied about whether to do a feature film or do or make a television series out of it. And they've gone a little bit back and forth, then do various treatments and pilots and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't heard anything for a while. I thought, well, you know, it's going to probably dry up, and they'll return the rights to me because the rights are about to expire. But they just renewed them, so they mm-hmm. bought another chunk of time. So I think that's. Maybe a little optimism. Sure. Uh, you know, if they have a confidence enough to, to buy another chunk of time, uh, then maybe they know something they're not telling me that makes them optimistic that it's worthwhile to buy another chunk of time. Yeah. That's personally, I don't think I wish I'll be the last one to find out when the project is maybe when I see the movie trailer or I see the television <laughs> and I will know, oh, that's my movie. There it is. That's when I'll find out. Sure, sure. I hope I'm a more involved, but you know, I'm yeah, a low well, man totem pole when it comes to Hollywood. Sure, sure. Well, I, I, I think it's, it's. Uh, I, I would expect that a lot of writers would appreciate that if their stuff does get optioned out and and it does go into development, that they get to kind of consult then. Even though, I mean, there's a formal script writer, but that you'd kind of get to say, well hey, it's still my stuff and that they would appreciate that. And, and, you know, they have to make changes to put it on a screen and that hopefully you would get some input to that. Well, Constantine Films have bought it. They do seem, I mean, I'm being a little bit facetious. They are, they have been communicative and and, and, and voice that they want me involved in the process. So, Oh, that's terrific. Hopefully that will hold true. That's, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, we, we would love to see something, whether it's on the big screen or uh, streaming services could do a great series out of it. Me too. Uh, I just want, I want like a, the popcorn um, jug that has like the movie stuff on it. That's right. <laughs> you don't have to pay me. Just give me the popcorn jug right. with the uh, characters on it. You've got a good uh, space in the wall behind you that could you could do frame your movie posters. It's just perfect for that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now you did um, have a little side journey a few years ago with uh, Rebecca Cantrell doing uh, Order of the Sanguines, which was I love that trilogy. Um, that was insanely compelling. It was a, a a little bit of a twist from from what you usually do. Had a little more sprinkling of like supernatural stuff, but still like incredibly grounded. It wasn't like way way out there kind of fantasy stuff. It was still pretty pretty grounded. Yeah, I've I've written two books a year for almost every single year of my career. Uh, last year was the only year year I only wrote one. I did write a hundred page novella, which took me just about as long as writing a whole novel that's going to appear in an anthology later this year. 
but I, I'm always like trying to do something different. I've always liked doing, you know, uh, my staccato pace thriller, my Sigma novel, and then something else just to uh, stretch my literary legs. So I've done, you know, fantasy novels early in my career. I was doing one fantasy a, a year and one thriller a year. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it was uh, doing a, a different, doing a standalone thriller along with the Sigma thriller. Um, so I got the idea for this sort of uh, epic story about vampires in the Catholic Church. Had a lot of fun to write because it's more supernatural. But then the more I was again doing my research, building the story and the rough outline of the plot, I thought, you know what? I don't think. I can do this story justice. You know, and any author will tell you this. Whenever they think of an idea, it's like a bright, shiny penny in their head. And your goal as a writer is to try to write that as well as you can so that it comes out on paper as bright and shiny as what's in your head. Mm-hmm. And it never does. You know, the story's always brighter in your head than it ever is on paper. And But I knew this is such a cool story idea. I don't know if I could really, if this is really my strongest wheelhouse. So I, I knew Rebecca Cantrell for years. Uh, she, when we first met, I was teaching a writer's retreat at the Maui Writers Conference, and she was one of my students in the retreat. Hmm. She was already an exceptional writer. She already had a, a book deal coming out. Her first book hadn't debuted yet, but it was, it was coming out. And I can already tell then, you know, I have nothing to teach you, woman. You're just too good. <laughs> uh, you know, I gave her her blurb for her book that, that came out that year. I've uh, been reading everything she's written since. And so I just happened to read one of her, was reading one of her latest releases, this Hannah Vogel mystery that's set between World War One and World War Two. She's really good at atmospheric historical writing. And I'm reading them thinking, gosh, this is just sort of what I, I need for the series. So I thought, yeah, I've never collaborated before. I always say, yeah, I want to do something different. Well, Supernatural is a little different. Now, what if I actually co-wrote it? How different would that be? Mm-hmm. So I called Rebecca. said, Rebecca, you know, I've got this idea for this series. You know, it's really sort of cool. And, and you know, I would love if you, you know, maybe co-write this with me. And she goes, well, what's it about? And I says, vampires. And she goes, no. <laughs> never write a vampire novel. I go, wait, wait, wait. Let me just explain it to you. <laughs> So similar like you had the experience. It's not quite what you would expect uh, from necessarily a vampire novel. Um, it is sort of grounded in some interesting history that's re- that's real to the, about the Catholic Church, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it's fairly grounded. And so was, while I was telling her the uh, story idea, I, I, I coaxed her over to the dark side. And uh, so we agreed to, to, to work together on it. And now neither of us had ever collaborated before. It was a new process, which was which was difficult. We could figure out how to divvy up the project. You know, she has her strength. I have my strength. I'm good with the science, the weird creatures, uh, and uh, some of the more macabre features of the novel. She's good at um, more of the romance, more of the character development. Mm -hmm. So we divvied up the book and we would meet every Monday via Skype just, just uh, uh, for literally four to six hours. We would meet every Monday for four to six hours and we would, discussed what she wrote that week, what I wrote that week. We'd band it back and forth. Hmm. And initially it was um, awkward because, you know, you're trying to be polite. It's like, you know, Rebecca, um, this chapter you just sent me, it's uh, it's good. Um, I really like it. <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe we could think about, you know, maybe just changing this just a little bit. But eventually it got to the point where we could be more honest and direct. Yeah. And like, you know, Rebecca would call, you know, Jim, this last chapter sucks, rewrite it. 
So once you get to that <laughs> type of, of, uh, of level of, of honesty, uh, things went much faster. Um, but it was it was it was a fun project, challenging project. Uh, there's positive and negative, just like with writing a series. Sure. Because uh, one of the positives is that you get you know two brains to solve every problem. You know, you, it's nice to be able to lean on somebody else. Go, I really have no idea where to go with this, or this scene isn't working. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really really a lot of fun. Now you did. You guys both did an incredible job on it. It's a great series. Yeah. Thank you. So, do you have any projects coming up that? Um... You can tease us with <laughs> all sorts of projects. <laughs> <laughs> so coming out this September is a anthology of all my short work. Not the stuff that's buried in my backyard. <laughs> stuff that actually got published over my 20 years of writing. Um, and there are some of them are so old, they're hard to find or they're in esoteric little magazines that are no longer in print. Mm. Uh, so we're putting them all together in one volume. And I wrote new introductions to a lot of the stories, which I, I'm using the stories as a, uh, a way of showing the arc of my career. You know, the introductions are showing like why I told the story, uh, you know, what was some of the, the impetus, what was, what, what was the challenges of writing that. And then I didn't want to just tell you old stuff. So I, I, as I mentioned before, I wrote a hundred page novella featuring uh, Captain Tucker Wayne and his military war dog Kane. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of uh, clamoring to see that that dynamic duo return, and they will be in that uh, the brand new adventure. It's a trust me, it's a I'm going to rip out everybody's heart that reads that story. Oh, so no, no, just no, be no. prepared. Oh, it is a uh, it's a journey, shall we say? Oh, uh, oh no! Because what and what that story and I'll, I've never told this before, so I'll just release it to you first. It deals with um, you know Tucker and Kane have been a, a dynamic duo. But uh, for, for prior to that, there used to be a dynamic trio. There was another dog named Amy mm. that yes. was yes. that was with them. So you're going to find out a lot more about what befell Abel and how both Kane and Tucker are trying to deal with the the pain of of losing that other partner. So that's what's coming up in September. Yeah, I'm um, just recall- finishing up. I recall, yeah, I recall in one of your uh, books that that was uh, it was mentioned about Abel and that was uh, I think the reason why Tucker kind of got out of the service was because of that yeah okay yeah, so traumatized by the death of Abel that he he, he literally stole Cain and fled yeah yeah he didn't want he didn't want, he didn't want Cain being uh, suffering the same fate sure. so even though he's not supposed to take off a, a wall and be stealing military property uh, so he was on the run for a while and ran into Sigma and that was in Bloodline where he sort of teamed up with Sigma in that book and then I spun him off into a series with Grant um, just finishing up the next year's Sigma novel that'll be coming out next uh, next spring. It's called The Savage Zone, and oddly enough, it's all about viruses. Mm. Talk about you know, <laughs> some, at one point I think, oh, I wish I had written that one first because how appropriate would that be for right now? Yeah. But now like, people don't want to read about viruses and scary things while they're living that in real life, and the the book is not a pandemic novel. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm deals with the biology and the evolution and the weirdness uh, of, of viruses mm. from a biological standpoint. And in, in some respects, I think it's scarier than a pandemic, uh, that book. So that's coming out. Um, I'm now working on a, uh, the first of a new fantasy series. That's my other book of the year. So I'm working on that right now. Um, can't give too much details. That's coming out the summer of 2021. So I'm pulling back on giving up to The premise is so cool. 
but I don't want to give it out this soon. It, I don't wow. want people to think about it for a year and a half. I want to wait until we're closer to the date where I, I'm going to pull the, <laughs> you know, open the curtain and reveal it then. Terrific. Terrific. That's great. Well, just I just want to give you a, a little bit of love here. You bring such um, smart, strong, um, capable uh, men and women to the page. That, well, thank you. That... Um, I, you know, they're truly equals and, uh, and they're, they're concepts that we can really dig our, just dig our teeth into. They're not superhuman. Um, they, which I really appreciate. Um, even though, uh, say Chan can, you know, (laughs) do some superhuman thing in there. She's she's amazing. Yeah, she really is. Um, so I just wanted to give you, um, a little bit of love, uh, on that. Um, because uh, not very many writers can bring that, bring those those personalities together in equal measure. Yeah. Well, and have yeah. work. My, my goal when I was you know creating the especially the female cast of characters is I didn't want them to be you know, a arm candy where for the you know the 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 Bond girls with Bond. Right. I didn't want them to be damsels and needing you know needing to be rescued. Uh, I wanted them to you know you know be as, as skilled as anybody else in the book mm-hmm. uh, and to go around and saving the, the, uh, the man in, distri- in distress. No, but, but I think the thing for me is they bring different skills. So you're right. not pairing them up uh, male for female in terms of, uh, in terms of their skills. Right. You know, so you're, you're, an, you're taking a skill set that you need and you're looking at the characters that you have and then endowing them with those properties, which is, which is truly an art. So I, I just need to give a little bit of fangirl love. Well, <laughs> that's one th- and fun thing about a series with a group is that, and what I think allows me to stay fresh with the series, even by book number 15, is I get to shift that spotlight mm-hmm. around. So maybe one book, we're going to see more of Monk and Cat in this book. You know, and this book maybe more Kowalski. And next book, you know, a different set of character that can shine the light on. So I can shift it around so it's not feeling like we're just necessarily dealing with the same characters over and over and over again. The, the the character and, and it's so funny the appreciation that as a reader we have for all the different characters. Kowalski is just I I, I can imagine that you just laugh as you're like writing oh, lines for him. That Kowalski <laughs> first appeared in in my, one of my standalones. Mm. He first mm-hmm. appeared in Ice Hunt. Yes. And uh, so, you know, when he was first introduced in, you know, actually I think about what was it, six or seven books later, it's because I missed him. I liked writing him so much in Sandstorm. I thought, you know what? I mean, sorry, Ice Hunt. I thought, well, he doesn't really belong necessarily in this elite covert team of DARPA agents. But he's going to get recruited. I'm pulling him in. Whether, yeah. <laughs> whether he belongs yeah. there or not, he's, he's joining the team. Sure. And you probably have uh, you know, your own mental pictures for each one of these characters, oh, and, yeah. and maybe even physical pictures that, like, you've scoured the internet and said, "Oh, this person looks exactly like the person who's this character," and you know, this is Monk, and you've pasted them to your wall or something. No, they're just in my head. Just I mean, head. I to see them. Um, sure. I always people ask me, you know, well, who do you think would make the best? You know, if you're going to cast the film. Mm-hmm. You know, who, which actors should match what characters. And I hate playing that game. And I resist playing that game. Cause you know, when I read Harry Potter, I knew what Harry Potter looked like in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Once I first saw the first movie, 
Then all of a sudden, I can't remember the name of the actor who just plays Harry Potter in the movies. Um, Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. Radcliffe, yes. So, so now I can't think of Harry Potter except as Daniel Radcliffe. And I sort of resent that. Mm. So part of me is afraid that if I start playing that game and I start picking an actor as that character, I will start then making that actor that character. And I don't want to do that. I want their, they are who they are in my head and I want to keep them that way. Well, and certainly I have images of your characters that I bring to every single book I read. And, right. and I don't want you to mess with that. Exactly. You know, I think I know exactly what Monk looks like, or, you know, even Kane for that matter. You could, too. you know, you could cast a completely different dog as Kane, and I would, I would still go, nope, that, that's my <laughs> I picture Kane as a, as a French bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> that, now, that's not to say we don't want the movies, because we do. No, we <laughs> <laughs> no I, would like that. I would like that too, but I just, uh, uh, until I have to cross that line, I'm trying to keep them as as, as pure as as they are in my head, as for as long as yeah. possible. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've you've spent an, an awful lot of time with us uh, here tonight, which which we appreciate. Oh, it's been um, you usually do a pretty aggressive uh, book tour, which I think you maybe mm-hmm. just got a start on before the plug got pulled. Yeah, it was just the, the week before I was supposed to leave, everything began falling apart. You know, Tucson Book Festival, which was supposed to go the weekend before the tour, that you know that canceled. I was supposed to go to WonderCon and do a keynote at WonderCon. Mm-hmm. That got canceled. And the bookstores began dropping like yeah. flies. So then she was like, okay, we're just going to – we're giving up the ghost. So now it's all been digital. So I did a you know a TV satellite tour where I was speaking to a bunch of morning shows, just like I was speaking sure. to you today. But they made me sit on a chair to spit a little bit higher because <laughs> I was sitting too low. Uh, but yeah, so now everything's digital. Some Facebook Live things from my office. Just try to keep uh, as much as I can. You know, the some version of the book the book tour yeah, live yeah. in a digital you format. Had a terrific uh, Roosevelt fireside chat. Uh, that, 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 was, that was very nice. I, I, I appreciated that. How has uh, a, a pandemic survival been, been going for you? Everything, everything going all right out there? It's fine. I mean, besides the cancellation of the, of the book tour, it's not really necessarily affected me as a sure. writer. I mean, I'm, I think writers for the most part are hermits yep. as it is. We're, we're always quarantined. Um, so it's not been that, fundamentally different really i feel sorry for the people that you know that are really suffering from this the people that are on the front lines at hospitals to those that are are in the beds at those hospitals to uh, you know grocery store clerks and uh, postal workers that still have to be out there you know exposing them putting themselves at risk so i can hardly complain that oh my book tour got (laughs) so it's not worth it's not worth whining about well what i would hope is that uh your 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 book uh certainly your new release last odyssey and and hopefully folks if they haven't already will will pick up some of your your other books that you've put out and that can give them a bit of a respite from this um i know you know as as amazon orders have gotten delayed i i know that uh the copy that i pre-ordered is due in sometime next week um but Last Odyssey is out there, although most bookstores are closed. Um, but you can order it from um, the 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 all, all, all the big places as well as uh, all sources. Place you can pretty much order a book, yeah. you can find yeah. a copy of Last Odyssey. So yeah, so hopefully folks get a chance to to pick that up. Uh, we certainly highly recommend. Gosh, all of your books they're they're just terrific. So thank, well, thank you. you. 
Thank, Thank you, you very much. Um, anything else you want to you want to mention before we close out? Um, you know, on my on my uh, Facebook page, I link some links to uh, two sites where if you order the book, any book doesn't really be my book, any book uh, through those links, they um, a part of the proceeds goes to help struggling bookstores. A lot of bookstores are, are struggling right now because they can't open their doors and they're you know pretty much usually strained budget wise, anyways. So part of the proceeds from all sales at these two stores go towards supporting uh, these struggling bookstores. So, you know, if you're looking to order a book, maybe check out one of those Terrific. links. And that's, uh, is that jamesrollins.com? Uh, it's uh, on oh, Facebook. Facebook. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've, I've had it multiple times. If you just look through my feed, you'll see it multi- you know, probably five or six times. I, I, I've linked to those to stores. Good. No, that's, that's terrific. That's terrific. Well, Jim, we appreciate you spending time with us. Well, thank you for uh, sharing your time in this plague-ridden country of ours. (laughs) Thanks very much. Thanks.